Good morning. My name is Kathy Connor. It is such a joy and an honor to be a pastor at First Pres. Christmas reminds us that God went to infinite lengths to draw near to you. So I want to encourage you to draw near to Him through the music and prayers and listening to Him speak in the Word of God this morning. Our hope is that you will draw near to Him by going deeper in your faith or draw near to him for the first time by discovering what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. If you are new to First Pres, we invite you to go online and fill out a connect card. That way we can connect with you and help you get into a life group or an opportunity to serve, to pray for you and more. You can also access that card by scanning the QR code. It will take you directly to the card to fill out. Online, if you would share the service on Facebook, we'd love that to be an avenue to inviting others to join us in worship 
this morning. This morning is also Remembrance Sunday. Christmas can be a particularly difficult time, missing those that we love who have died. So this morning, we are going to remember and give thanks to God for them by lighting a candle in their name. And for those of you online, you will have the opportunity to text Fitz, and we will give his cell phone number to you later so that we can do this for you on your behalf. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you invited us into this day, into this place, and we are so grateful because today is your day, not ours. We were made for your purposes, not ours. Help us then to be about your business today, not ours. Lord, you ask us and compel us to come just as we are and that it's okay to not be okay. Well, many of us are not okay, Lord. Whether it's because of the pandemic, economic stress in businesses and homes, illness or other difficulties, Lord, we just lay it down at your feet, knowing that only you can transform these things, bring good out of them, and do more in our lives than we could have imagined. So help us this morning to come to your table and to bring others with us, others that don't yet know you, don't yet know that you're the source of life and goodness and freedom from anxiety and stress. You're the way out, but you're the way in to life and breath. Father, there are people we know and love who need you People who need healing, Annetta Monroe, Neva Reed, Joanne Harvey, Nancy and Stephen Paget, Jackie Faircloth, Father. Lord, we also pray for Sarah Stockstead and her family in the death of her father this past week as they all gather as family in Seattle. Love them, hold them close and near. We pray for Woody Davis, who is awaiting a heart transplant, Father, and Jerry Denny, who is rounding the corner on his chemotherapy treatments for cancer. This morning, we also pray for Carol Dollar, who fractured her wrist last night, but also, Lord, for Alina Callahan, her brother and her mother, as they now offer her father into your loving care comfort care in the hospital as he is being overcome by COVID-19. So Lord, they're offering him back to you. Would you just wrap your arms around this family and around us as we come in whatever condition we're in, knowing you are the great physician for us all. In Christ's name we pray.
Please be seated. Thank you. This morning when you walked in, you walked by the foster angel tree that serves foster kids in Hillsborough County. Kids like Brayden. Brayden is six years old. He's asking for some new pants, a shirt, some shoes, a bike. You and I have the opportunity to make sure that these children who have come from places of trauma and instability to know just how cherished and treasured they are by Jesus and by us. So I invite you when you go out to consider maybe grabbing one of these for one of these children. You can also access it online, but I understand there are only a couple more online left. If you have trouble finding one, just let me know. I have the privilege of introducing Rachel. She's going to give us a great message this morning. Hi, First Press families. It's Rachel here, and I have something fun to share with you. I got to thinking, as much as we love our nativity that sits out in our courtyard during the Christmas season here at church, it's looking a little empty, don't you think? Well, I knew what we could do to solve that problem. Can you guess what that might be? Here's a hint. That's right, you guessed it, live animals. We are bringing a petting zoo of nativity animals right here to First Pres next Sunday. Children of all ages will get to come out and pet the animals, hang out with them, and experience some of the actual animals that might have been there during Jesus' birth. There could be a sheep, a donkey, a flamingo. Well, okay, maybe not a flamingo, but anyway. Come on down to church next Sunday, December 20th, and experience some Yuletide cheer. I'll be sending out an email with all the details and information. Can't wait to see you then. Bye. Um, in the same way that Mallory Curtin gave us a financial update in November, this morning, we will hear from Shamus Warren. Thank you, Shamus. Animals are always hard to follow, but um, I'll do my best. So um, there should be some slides that will come up. The next one uh, is the November 30th, 2020 year-to-date performance. So although the expenses, uh, as you can see on the right column, are in excess of giving and grants received to date, uh, December has traditionally been our largest giving month, and um, we hope to see this uh, $38,000 deficit eliminated by the end of the year, and I'm confident we will. It is worth noting that uh, the giving amount of $793,000 uh, includes a significant one-time grant of $113,000 to the church. Um, but if there is any good news to report because of the pandemic, it's that the church has incurred fewer expenses um, than budgeted, so that's good news. Uh, the next slide uh, is November 30th, 2019 on the left, operational giving uh, through versus November 30th, 2020 year to date on the right. 
Uh, we see in the column on the right that the operational giving through the end of November uh, is at 755,000 again. This includes the one-time grant of 113,000, which was not received in the prior year and will not reoccur in the future. So um, if you back that out, the individual gifts amounted to 642,000 as of November 30th of this year. And then the left column um, reflects the operational giving year to date through November 30th of last year. Uh, and although the gifts are trailing uh, the prior year, we do celebrate and appreciate uh, your amazing generosity through this unusual year. So thank you all very much for your giving. And then the final slide are a few other uh, highlights to celebrate. Um, there are um, a few trends that the Stewardship Committee has noticed and wanted to uh, comment on. The percentage of online giving and recurring giving has more than doubled, which is amazing and fantastic. And this enables us to better budget uh, as a church and is also a wonderful indicator of the generosity that is truly becoming rooted in our everyday habits. Um, the next point there, there have been 67 new first-time donors during 2020, so thank you to you guys that are donating and, and first-time givers, and we hope you continue to give. Um, your generosity is, is making an impact in our community, and we'll highlight the good things that are happening uh, around town and around the world because of your gifts um, as part of our 2020 annual report, which you can anticipate receiving around March of next year, 2021. So, in conclusion, thank you guys for your amazing and inspirational servant hearts, and God bless you, and Merry Christmas. Thank you, Shamus. Shamus. Shamus serves faithfully on the stewardship team, and so we deeply appreciate you helping us understand these numbers this morning. God has lavished his generosity on us, and he proved it by giving his only son to us. So this Christmas, we get to learn how to be lavish givers from him, all of it in the name of Christ. And here are five ways that you can learn how to do that and continue to do that, for which we all celebrate and give thanks to God.
so good that we're all weathered at this table. Come as we are. Come meet this smallly crew of misfits, these liars and these thieves. There's no one unwelcome here. That sin and shame that you brought with you, you can leave it at the door. singing that song more and more as we continue to sing it week in and week out and then we play it in that little bumper video. I, 
I just find myself to be a person who feels deeply grateful inside because here I am. Here we are. I've been invited to the table. Sort of had a little emotion even a minute ago sitting there in the pew singing it. And Sidewalk Prophets, they are the people that did it, Christian artists. And here's what you can do. You can listen to this music anytime you want to. And I was aware of this song before we chose it for this series to help us. But I invite you to just punch up however you do it, Sidewalk Prophets, and listen to all their music. Their Christmas album is great, but Come to the Table is just fantastic. So uh, how about this? What is it that at your table at Christmas, this is just a little fun one, what is it that you just simply have to have on Christmas Day? What must be there or you're going to be disappointed? So go ahead and start thinking about it right now. What food must be there? I realize that's kind of fun. I don't always end up with what I really need to have, but I'll just tell you what it is. It's turkey, it's dressing, it's gravy, and here's the part that you're not going to be expecting. It's Lesseur canned early peas. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, I, and I see some heads go shaking it. I see some, we have some takers. <laughs> yes, we do, yes, we do, and this is what I do. I get it all like this, and this, some gravy and mashed taters and lesseur peas. Everything else on top of that is just window dressing. But that's where the heat of the action is. Anyhow, tables. Here we are again. The imagery of the table, the table that God has set, that Christmas helps us to understand. That's what we're doing over and over again because, friends, it's really that simple. You have been, I have been invited. There's a seat at the table for us. It's that simple. And your job, I'm going to say this again when I finish what I'm saying this morning, but your job is simply to accept the invitation. Take a seat. And as Kathy said when we opened this morning, if maybe for the first time you're saying yes to Jesus who's pulled a chair out for you, but maybe it's you deciding you're going to let go more because you've been following him and you want to go deeper. Whatever it is and everything in between. Wow. This is the banquet of living forever in the presence of the almighty God of the universe. And we're in this season of Advent. And I want to just move over and lean towards this wreath. Kathy is going to light three candles. We're in the third Sunday in the Christian year of Advent, in the Christian calendar. And Advent starts the year. So the 29th of November was, was Sunday 1. Last week was Sunday 2. Today is Sunday 3. We'll light the fourth candle next Sunday, the 20th. And the one in the middle will be lit on Christmas Eve. And this Advent is, means to visit. It's the coming and so what happens is the rescue that we needed gets launched by the person of Jesus coming into our world, taking on complete humanness, remaining divine, fully human, fully divine. And that's the mystery of what we say over and over again. We, we affirm that without fully understanding it. The mystery is made clear in the, in the magnificent banquet that's set before us. 
And we have a verse that's helped us to understand that as we think about the meaning of Advent and we think about being invited to the table. The key verse that we've been using is from John's gospel. A gospel is sort of like a biography. And John comes out of the gate swinging and with kind of high-level thinking. And he says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a lot of words there, but that, in effect, is John's version of the manger. You with me? Now, I want to draw your attention to one word, no pun intended, in this verse. And the word I want to draw attention to is the word word. See it? The word, the second word in this passage is the word word. Now, let me hyperlink this for you. Because I've been saying to you, and I'm going to say it until I die, until I take my last breath, all 66 books of the Bible are about the same God. It's a unified story that brings us to Jesus. Now, some people struggle with the God that they think is all kind of angry and mad all the time. I can help you through all of that, but I'm telling you, the whole book, beginning in page 1, Genesis chapter 1, guess what it says? It says that God spoke and the universe came into existence. God's word, in Hebrew it's dabar, in Greek it's logos. God speaks in the very act of speaking. All reality comes into being. And now this fullness of God becomes a human being. Is that not unbelievable? That's what we've been waiting for. God has come. God has visited. The, the wreath, Advent, and also the word you hear all the time at Christmas, Emmanuel. That's a Hebrewish word, and it means God with us. That's another way of thinking about who Jesus is. The word that spoke the universe and all of life into existence has become a human being and lives with us. And so, of course, we're going to make that. And that same word sends an invitation to you. Come to the table and just let the melody sing, ring through your mind and your soul and your heart. Music helps me connect I need to feel things. I need to move around. That's just how I'm wired. It's Myers-Briggs or something. And I need to touch and feel and taste. And so I can get the music going. I get the words going. I get all this Hebrew and stuff I do get going. And the next thing you know, man, I'm jazzed. Because I have a seat. And guess what? There's chairs pulled out for all of us at the table. And we've been kicking all this around. We've been talking about three themes that we find in all of this table imagery. And the three themes are about making sure that we understand that God is motivated by God's love for us, compassion. When the Word spoke and created everything, it wasn't because God needed us. God was complete. This is really, really important for us to understand. God does not need us. God was 100% complete in God's self, in, in, in who He was as who He is. And you know what? Exploding with love. God says, man, I just want me some people. And I want to love them. And I'm going to give them the choice to decide to sit at the table and love me back. That's what happened with God. That's why God did it. Best we can tell. It wasn't because of any, we're anything special. But God is really special. So that's compassion is about what this is all about. And then notice what else we've been saying. Reconciliation. There was a problem. What happened on page 3? Page one, God speaks everything into existence on page three. We said, no, I know you got the chair pulled out for me. I'm not going to sit down with you. We can do this. I can do this. I want to do this without you. And that really is what human beings have done. All of us, it's our default posture is to somehow pull back away from God. 
And we have to over and over again say, God, I'm sorry. I pulled, from, I pulled away from you again. I tried to do it without you again. I tried to make a plan for my life and didn't ask you if it was a good one or not. It could have been a good plan, but it wasn't your plan. Again, you know, over and over we do it. And so we just say, I'm sorry and keep moving. But we really said, I see the chair. I'm sitting at the table. But by the way, I'm just getting up. and I'm going to go sit over at this other table. That's sort of a way of talking about this human condition. The three-letter word, sin. So don't let sin sound like anybody's judging you. If they are judging you, it's not their place. It's God's place to call the shots. But friends, you and I have that default posture. And yet the, ta the table chair always is pulled away for us. All we got to do is sit back down. And so that's, all of that is what this is about. And so reconciliation, that's a long way of saying reconciliation. The third thing is pull chairs out for other people, invite them. We want this thing to get bigger. God wants it to get bigger, and he's inviting you and me to invite other people to the table. And is that cool or what? Who doesn't want to come to my house on Christmas and have lasur peas on top of their gravy and their smashed taters and their dressing and their turkey? I mean, can you, how could you not want to come and join me? And look at this table. Whew. All things made right again in the kingdom. That's what it's about. All relationships fixed. The, the painful things that Kathy listed when she prayed this morning of people dealing with just great hurt. All of it goes away. There's no more crying. There's no more tears in the banquet that lasts forever. There's no more cancer. There's no more head injuries. There's no more autism. There's no more Asperger's. There's no more eating disorder and the shame of hiding it. All of that's gone. And whatever else is in our lives, there's no more marriage that doesn't work. It's fixed in the kingdom, and it's been launched because of Advent. And so we have this little story that we're going to read. We're going to go way back to the time of the king of Israel, David, the great high-water mark. He's like all, Mount Rushmore all by himself in terms of the history of Israel. You go, you see a great big king, David. He's the second king of Israel, the first king you're going to hear about in just a second. So I want to read this story. It's about a table. It's about somebody who is hurting. And it's about the kindness of a king who makes a seat for a hurting person at the table. That's what we're going to see. And then we're going to, we're going to find out how you and I can relate to this hurting person who's invited by the king of Israel to sit at his table. So 2 Samuel Chapter 9, we're going to read all of chapter 9. It has 13 verses in it, but we're going to read verse 1 first. David asks, the king of Israel asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Three characters. Let me quickly tell you who they are. David, he's the king of Israel. Now, notice it says here, David is the king of Israel, but anyone left of the house of Saul. Saul was the king prior to David. Jonathan is Saul's son, right? So you got David, not related to Jonathan, uh, to Saul and Jonathan, but you got Saul and Jonathan. Here's the problem. Saul didn't pay attention to God, got sideways, did his own thing, and God said, Saul, you're expecting Jonathan to be the next king. And oh, by the way, just notice what's going on over in England. You know about monarchies. We don't care about monarchies in the United States. We sort of chuckle about it. But over there, it matters a lot. And we're, everybody's wondering, will Elizabeth just hand a thing to Philip? I mean, uh, what's it to Charles? Will she just hand it to Charles? And Kathy wants Elizabeth to retire from the queen and hand it to Charles so he can be king. That's what she wants. Just because she thinks it's unfair, he's going to get old and die before she does. 
And then we got Harry and all those guys, you know. And so they take that monarchy thing really seriously. But guess what happened? Jonathan, the heir apparent of Saul, didn't get to be king. Why? Because Saul himself messed up and God sends someone in and says, Saul, dude, you blew it. I'm picking David. And David was a punk kid, a shepherd. But he was really smart. David, by the way, wrote about 73 of the 150 psalms that you read in the psalms. David wrote them. Brilliant musician, artist, and a great king. Now, he had some bad problems, but most human beings do. Anyhow, so we have in this character, we have, we have David, who's the king of England. I mean, king. <laughs> we don't have a king of England. Kathy wants to have a king of England. We have David, who's the king of Israel, and we have the former king, Saul, and Jonathan, Saul's son. Now, you need to know this. Jonathan and Saul were both killed on the same day. They died in battle on the same day. So that's important to realize also. Here we have these three people, and a fourth is coming in. It's the person who's hurting. So I'm going to read the rest of the passage, make a couple of comments on it, and then you and I are going to try to figure out how can we relate to this person in this passage who's hurting, who needs help. So now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, they summoned him to appear before David, and David the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. Well, you better reply that way if the king questions you. You know what I'm saying? And so the king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. Remember, Saul and Jonathan are both deceased. But there is still one left, a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? David asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Lodabar means no pasture, not a great place to live. So King David had him brought from Lodabar to, from the house of Makir, the son of Amiel. Sorry about those names. And here comes the next character we want to get. When Mephibosheth Say that name again. You see it? Mephibosheth. Say it real fast with me three times. One, two, three. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. It's really hard. We're going to call him Phibi. Okay? Just call him Phibi. When Phibi, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service. Of course, that's what you do when you're in the presence of the king, when you're in the royal throne room. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Phoebe bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should take notice of a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson, that is Phoebe, may be provided for. And Phoebe, grandson, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And I don't know why we get this next detail. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. I, 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 that's a lot of kids. Ziba said to the king, you know, kings have entourages, right? I, that's all I can say here is back then, as is today, there's a big entourage. And, you know, the, bill, the, the burn rate on that must have been pretty high. I don't know. 
Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Phibi had a young son named Micah. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. It's clear that the author of this book, 2 Samuel, wants you and me to know that Mephibosheth is suffering a hardship. So you want to ask the question, why is Mephibosheth afraid? And the answer is, he is royal of blood, and he could, would be perceived as a threat by the king whose bloodline came from somewhere else. So in other words, Mephibosheth and any other of Saul and Jonathan's lineage with any other king whose heart was not full of kindness, who wasn't faithful, who didn't want to do the right thing with God, any other king would chase down the bloodline of the other family and kill them. Just watch Versailles on Netflix. But that's not what happens here. David makes a seat for him at the king's table in the royal palace and provides for him and his big family and all of his servants. The question also is, how does Mephibosheth, how does Phibi become lame in both feet, which we hear repeated? And the answer is this. Best we can tell, and you go back and dig around in the other stories, when his nanny, when both his parents, are, when his father and grandfather are killed, we don't know anything about Phoebe's mother. His nanny is running for her life because the, king, the, the throne is being overrun, and she drops him. And somehow he's paralyzed or whatever, it doesn't say. But Mephibosheth is injured permanently, and he can't walk without help. And there's no... There's no chairs, there's no ADA, there's nothing to help him out. And this woman is running for her life, and she's scared. Why? Because she's not royal blood, she's a servant, but they're going to kill me the same way they're going to kill him. And she just drops him in her panic. That's how he ends up the way he is. And he ends up in some barren place, hiding out, because that's where she takes him. That's what's going on in this story. And the, the, the way the story ends is where we need to go. He is lame in both feet, but he lives forever at the king's table. And so I think what the story wants us to know is this is a way for us to understand how it is so important that we get the Advent story straight. The problems that people had that created division, lack of compassion, irreconciliation, and closing in the ranks, not inviting anybody in, those problems get solved with Advent. And the king's heart invites us all in. The king's heart says, I want you at the table with me. And friends, here's the deal. We need to see that we're like Phoebe. And there are three or four ways that I think we're like him. One of them is this. Life hasn't gone according to your plan. Now, if you're royal and you're expected to be in the lineage of the king's son, which means you sooner or later, like Harry and what's his, uh, Harry and what's the other guy's name who kicked... I'm sorry, I, I can't remember their names. In England, one of them said, I'm out. But the other one's waiting, but his dad's never going to be the king. So that's where Phoebe would be. Except guess what? It didn't go this way, that way. Someone else ended up a different bloodline. 
we mentioned some painful things already this morning. And I say this knowing that people are hurting. But you're welcome at the table. I'm welcome at the table. We have people in our family, folks who are with us online, folks who are in the room now. We've had some hard things happen. There's hard stuff in our lives right now. And it just didn't go the way you thought. The hardest stuff is relational. It could be a business thing. It's a family thing. Maybe it's one of your children who has a diagnosis, and it's almost you want to hide it. It just isn't all working out the way we had planned. And yet there's the kindness of the heart of the king inviting us to come and join him at the banquet table. And we trust that all of that brokenness will go away, but we have to acknowledge the brokenness. It's a part of the authenticity of our experience of the goodness of God is the difficulty of some parts of our lives. So one of the ways that we need to relate to Phoebe is it really didn't go the way he was thinking for him, and it ain't going that way for some of us. Another way that we could say it is that, like Phoebe, sometimes people we've trusted have let us down. This is a minor part of the story, but this woman dropped him, and in a sense, she was in charge of him. He had, we don't know about his mother. He's injured permanently from it. And I'll just use an almost silly personal example. This is from our dear sweet dog, Renegade, who was killed three years ago next month. Renegade was. One, one June morning when Kathy was out of town and I had her up really early and I was out running with her because she wanted to take off running on a leash, I caught a crack on the sidewalk, which I couldn't see in the dark. And here's what I'm thinking. If I go down and land on this dog, I'm going to harm this dog severely. And so I took a roll and caught this thumb, and I swear I broke it, but I never would. And it was really, really painful, really painful. And I would turn, I just was breathing hard. And I made every attempt to get out of the way of hurting that dog. Well, apparently this woman fell on Phoebe. She was, she was uh, God bless her, whoever she was, she just fell on him and hurt him. And so we've been, that's a, that's a dramatization of the story, but you've been let down by people. I don't know a single person who can't say, I got hosed in my job or in a relationship, and I didn't, I was really innocent. Really, everybody I know, something, you were mistreated, and it really had nothing to do with you. So people let us down. That's another way that we can be like him. A third way is this. He was in danger. But he had no way to run. How's he going to get away? He's lame in both feet. And let, let's, make this, uh, let's make that a symbol or a metaphor for our relationship with life and with God. You and I can't save ourselves. We got no way to run from the condition of having said, Yeah, I know God. You set a place for me at the table. I'm cool. I'm a, I've got another table over here. And we simply have that default posture. And I like the word default. It's why I've repeated it. I think it helps us to understand no matter how good it's going, somehow still for me, I still want to find a way to sort of do it on my own and leave God out. We have no way to get away from our human condition. We simply just have to let it go and admit it. So I think we can relate to him that way. And the last thing is this one. This is so much so great to say. 
this is just so great to say, out of the compassionate kindness of the heart of the king, he has given us a seat at the table. Your favorite Christmas meal, huge, with people next to you, good people, people you care about. There's a place for me. I'm welcomed home. There's a chair where I belong. All out of the kindness of the bigness of the heart of the king. So we have two responses that make sense for us once we know that we've been invited to come to the table. And the first one is this. Be humble. And what that is is really a repeat of the reality that we share with Mephibosheth which is we have no way to run. In other words, be humble. Admit that I didn't get this invitation because of how great I am. It's not because of my merit. I didn't earn it. It's out of the explosive love of the heart of God. Be humble before God. And the other one is, the other thing we do right now, we do it right now, you do it right now. Be humble and take a seat. Sit down. This is your way and my way of saying, I accept the invitation. And we pull up a chair and we sit down at the table. That's who we are, my friends. People who have brokenness in our life. There's brokenness in the world. And the almighty God of the universe is putting it all back together again. And the feast of the great banquet table is what it's going to look like forever. And we're invited to sit there. And we're invited to invite other people to sit there. Because there are lots of leaves in the table. One of the ways that we at this church have expressed compassion, we've acknowledged our need for reconciliation. One of the ways we've also expanded the table is to give people room to grieve. And there is hurt. And there's hurt in the room now and there's hurt online. And what we're going to do is this. We call it a time to remember. And we're going to invite you starting with people in the front row and you folks online you're got, coming up now is my text my cell phone number and I'm going to write down we're going to give you a chance to come to the microphone up front say the name of someone who has died and who you who you miss who you're grieving for etc and we're going to invite you to come over to one of these two tables and light a candle in their remembrance Kathy's going to be standing in the middle and she's going to invite you forward and she's going to either say the name for you if you can't, or she's going to let you say that person's name. As Kathy is doing that, I'm going to take names from you who are participating, who are with us online. I'm writing them down here. And what we're doing, friends, is we're acknowledging that when the Messiah comes and when the great banquet is set, the hurt sooner or later is going to be gone because we're going to be rejoicing together. And so, yes, we remember now, but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is the resurrection of Jesus. The end of the story is the hope that this is a real thing that goes on forever. So let's now take a time to remember. You are welcome to come forward now. Robert and Linda. Susan Smith. 
husband, Jerry. Denise Martin. Leona Hahn and Patrick Wilcox. Susan Smith and my parents. Annalise Jimenez. My late wife, Betty. Stigelman and James Olson. Bob and Sarah Adams. Elizabeth Becky Walker. My grandma. Karen Yvonne Roberts. Uncle Al Golf and Pam Blessing. invite you all to continue lighting candles as I name names. Paul Jackson. Lewis Hill and the parents of Lewis and Sally Hill. Carol Dollar's father, Jerry Kelly, and Scott Dollar's father, Wayne Carter. 
Anastasia Garcia, Jim and Aura Haroon, Peggy Davis's father, Earl Besant, Kathy Wild, George Gage, Josephine Sanchez, Tim Gibbons' brother, Mark, Ken and Kim Kohler, Diane Winning, Caroline Hart, Ginger Whipple, Bud Oaks, Diana Day, Robert Balser, Bob, Kristen, and Eddie Fueo, Martha Maddox, Daddy Daddy Royster, Cooper, David Maddox's grandparents, J.D. Davidson, Deborah Billick's father, Jim Dahlberg, and Carlin Bullock. Corky Floyd. Grace, Grace Smith, Diane Fowler, Sally Waldron, Marianne Mitchell Piner, Leroy Mitchell's sister, Candy Ingle. Dan Park's father, Al Staffarini. Sandy Bell's father, Don Cameron and Lim Bell. Jim Davis's mom and Jim Davis's brother, Cody. Don Dagenhart. Mike Sweeney's mom, Carol. <sighs> Lana Turner's daughter, 
Susan Stokes, Chelsea Bridges' niece, Kai Bridges, Jill Coulter's brother, Rob Cooper, Pepper Coulter's parents, Dr. J.B. Coulter and Elaine Coulter, Sharon Davis' mom, Mimi Mason, and her father, Lee Davis. From Burton Tuttle, Jerry and Nancy Fogarty, Bob and Media Dawson. My Uncle Bob Arnhem. My mom. Allow me to pray for us. Gracious God, we, we're, we're, not, we're not willing to not tell you the truth about who we are. And so here we have been humbly and even with brokenness saddened by thinking about people who we miss who are gone and yet they're not really gone and yet we still hurt and so each person whose name has been recorded out loud this morning that person has an invitation from you at the table each of us does so we repeat what we've been charged to do which is to move humbly into your presence admitting that we don't earn anything that it's all a gift from you out of the kindness of your heart and then we do this we sit down we accept the invitation to be loved to feast to celebrate to live forever thank you gracious God that we can rejoice and grieve at the same time in your presence and that you understand everything about our experience having been there yourself in the person of Jesus Christ thank you gracious God that we are invited over and over again to come to the table. And this season, when you, when you arrive, gets the process started that results in a resurrection. All this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Friends, let me invite you to stand. We're going to sing as we finish this morning. And I want you to leave here today accepting the invitation. And I want you to find a way to put another leaf in your table and invite somebody to join you.
Parker, you are always welcome at the table, and we hope to see you next week. You guys be blessed. <laughs>